Good morning. Are we ready? I just want to uh, welcome everybody that's been watching us, man. We've been such a great response and all that. I, you know, <clears throat> uh, I appreciate all the, all the nice remarks. Appreciate all of you out there that are also beginning to tithe here and give offerings and, and uh, you know, if I don't teach you anything, then you don't should send me nothing. But if you're, but if I'm teaching you, then you should send me. The Bible calls it double honor. So uh, if you're getting the bread of life and this is where you get your spiritual food from, your tithe and offerings belong here. And I appreciate all those that are learning that. Also, I'd like to uh, remind all of you, we know this, on Passover, in the beginning of the sacred year, what we do is we bring a first fruit offering. Now, if you want to get involved in it, I'll tell you what, uh, I, I might let Kim Johnson come up here and just preach on it this morning. She blessed me uh, Wednesday night sharing all the wonderful things and uh, the reality of it. And so anyhow, if you, don't, if you don't know what that is, you can go on our archives and you can go on our YouTube uh, channel and there'll be uh, some teachings on it on that. And uh, what it is, it's one week's paycheck. Make whatever you make and you make uh, one week's paycheck for a year. So that's what it is. And we offer that to the Yahweh. We bring it to him. And uh, it's, be it's a beautiful thing. It's, uh, it, it blesses me. You know, remember the old song that says, we shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. You remember that? That's what that song's really about. Bringing in the sheaves and they come rejoicing. And uh, man, I just thank Yahweh for that. It blesses me so much to see people growing. And, and for some, it's a real step of faith. For some, not as much. But for some people, it's a real step of faith to step out. And uh, there, there are guidelines in it. We, we, I stopped receiving it in 50 days, which will be on the day of Pentecost. So uh, I'm excited about that. I'm excited. i got to tell you, the angel of the Lord that comes to you in whatever way it manifests, it, it will do it in all the ways, but it's been the, one of the most specific, greatest things that I ever learned and, and faith operated in. So uh, we ask you, we, we, we invite you to join us in that if this is where you believe uh, you are joined to, even though, as I say, your butt might not be able to be here, but your buck can. I got a, a nice letter the other day from a young man who sent, sent a wonderful check to us, and uh, he said, well, I, I, my butt can't be there, but my buck can. And so I'm glad they, people are learning, you know, I, I was joking Wednesday night, I I love it when people quote me, you know, so, so uh, this morning, I want to share something <clears throat> that's in my heart, and usually when I have this a word, it's a word that I, once I get it, and it begins to develop in my heart, and I begin to, to, you know, try to do my part on what God's word is, I pretty much know or think I know anyhow, let me say this, I think I know what the direction is, what the purpose, how it's going to affect people, where it's taking us, what it means. Today, i got to tell you, I'm not sure. Now, I could suppose it, but I would only be guessing, and I don't want to guess, but I'll tell you what I do know about this word today. It is to you. Johnny, look at Kim. It's not to her. It's to you. You look back at him. It's not to him. It's to you. It's to you. And I believe... The Spirit of God, and, and one of the things I want to try to redevelop here is for people to learn how to bring the presence of God into their life. You don't do it by complaining. We learn how to praise God. 
And I believe that one of the reasons that we don't praise God is because we forgot where we were when he found us. Somebody said, I found the Lord. I said, no, you didn't. The Lord ain't lost. He found you. And whether we like it or not, this is a house of misfits. A house of misfits. I think I saw, I think I saw a, isn't there a Christmas story called The Misfits? The Island of Misfits. Here we are. Maybe it's time to change the name of the church again. It's funny how we try to, we try to make ourselves not misfits. But the beauty of it is when we know we're misfits, God gets all the glory. And it's in that that he hangs out. In that recollection and that acknowledgement. So, as you mostly of you know, when I'm preaching, I'm preaching 99.9% of the time experiential knowledge. In my journey, I've gone the road. How many of you have been somewhere before and somebody, you're, you're trying to give them directions you want somebody that's been there and goes there every day because they will remember, oh, yes, that sign that says this and that place there, and you go down there and you turn. You want somebody who's been a forerunner and gone before you to help you. And if you're going to have a tour guide, you don't want the, that guy on the first day. And I can tell you that what I'm preaching to you today is something that I had to have experienced. Modern Christendom, of course, they'll get you saved in one day. One walk down the aisle, boom, it's over, done deal forever and ever and ever, and you can't lose it. And what that does is it prevents me and you from actually doing the very things that Yahweh requires in order to receive immortality. Because if you've already, if you've already run the, won the race without before you even start the race, you know, you're, well, you don't have to even run. Just sit there on the bench and look, Jesus, he won. I read the last book. We win. Yeah, we will. These things that I know that had to change in me. And I had to come to the fact of asking myself, with the help of the Spirit of God and the Word of God, that Spirit Word is, Johnny, what is it that you really value? What is it that you really value? Listen, every moment of the day, whether you and I realize it or not, we are making a decision of how to spend our time, what we're going to pay attention to, where to direct our energy, I can prove it this morning because right now, you have chosen and made the decision to listen to me. Unless your mama makes you sit here and listen to me. There's a million things you could be doing this morning or I could be doing, but right now, we are choosing to be here. Maybe in a minute, you'll begin to fade off and you'll check your Facebook. I remember years ago. I was telling me, you know, I was in a church. I told you about the guy who had the hearing aid on. I thought it was a transistor radio. He had that one to put in your pocket up here. But somebody was, uh, had a transistor radio back in the day, and they were listening to the Super Bowl on a Sunday night at church. And the guy, the preacher was saying something like, Amen. And the guy said, Touchdown! <laughs> you might decide to do something different while you're here. But right this minute, maybe, hopefully, you're tuning me in. Now, Danny Underwood always talks about me getting distracted by shiny stuff. He does that because, you know, uh, 
Jeff Foxworthy does that redneck thing, you know, where they like, we like shiny stuff, you know. And who else puts glitter on their boat? I mean, that's kind of stuff, you know. And uh, you think about it, it's like, man, we got glitter on our boat. And I can be talking to somebody, and the next thing you know, I mean, here at church, somebody tell me, man, I'm dying, I got three days to live. And all of a sudden, I can just wander off and be distracted by something. Is anybody else here like that? No, I think so. Every day when I pray, I have to make myself not let my mind wander. You ever wondered like that? That's why praying in tongues was so good for all those years. Man, I could be thinking about all kind of stuff, but my, my spirit's still praying. And when those things happen, really, we're making a simple value-laden decision. And I found out that obviously there are things that are more valuable to me than the Word of God. And the fact is, what it is you value, your behavior will follow your, evalu your, your valuation accordingly. So what you value the most is what channels your behavior. It controls what you do, how you do it, when you do it. So I'm like... There's something in me that's making me do things that I think I don't want to do. So what is it? Is it the devil? No, it's my flesh valuing something over something else. So my values are being, are being reflected. What, 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 do, what do I really value? Well, it's reflected in the way that I was choosing to behave. And the things that I did reflected what was really valuable to me. And I couldn't get around it and just say, well, that's not really what it is. You know, the flesh is weak. Hallelujah. Well, I'm just not mature that enough. No, it was because my value system was still needing redemption. Because I love God. But the things I wanted to do, I didn't do or said I wanted to do anyhow. I found out that people are going to do whatever the hell that is they want to do. And it's based on a value system that's really in our lives. It's pretty important <clears throat> because we all have a few things that we think and what we say we value. It's been my experience, and it was for me, and not as much as it used to be. It's going to make me better than you. I've just kind of maybe had a head start. But what I'm saying is what it is is we seldom back what we say and we think what we say and think we value we seldom back it up with the way that we act. What are you talking about? I'll give you an example. I love my wife. No, you don't. Or you wouldn't treat her like that. You got quiet. I said, got quiet. Got to get one amen out of that, maybe? Thank you. I hear people tell me all the time, oh, I love God more than anything, but their checkbooks show otherwise. I hear people talk about how much they care. All the, you know, these these people on TV talking about climate change this, climate change that, and all that. And guess what? They're still driving around in gas-guzzling SUVs and driving and flying private jets. Why? Because the value system, and I don't want to call it core values like some, I don't want you to get that confused this morning because I'm not talking about core values. I'm talking about uh, values that's in your core. Because a lot of people use some of these truths just to fulfill what they really value. People tell me they're concerned about their children's morality, but yet continue to watch crap on TV and the internet. We say one thing, but our actions tell a different story. And I want you to look at me today. Your actions 
Do not lie. I had to face it with me. You, could, you can cry and call grace of God. If it, I tell you what, I've just got to, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I've just fallen. No, that's how he found you. He found me a broken vessel. He found me broken. He found me stupid. He found me lost. He found me deceived. He found me living a de delusional life. Many people, I hear them say they have these certain values. But really it's just values that I think they wish they had. And what they're really doing is they're, they're using that, those values to cover up the values that they really have. Going to church is one of them. I'm going to church. You're not going to church today. I remember, I'll never forget, me and Dick Brinkley on, New, on Christmas Eve, I was at his house outside with his neighbor in the back. You know who he is. Todd knows him. I don't know who else may know him. And it was, it was New Year's Eve, and he'd already a little bit, or maybe a lot, because he was talking so nice. You remember it, Dick? He come in there, and he said, and he was Catholic. And, of course, he was going to Mass. Now, here, me and Dick, we went to church every day of our life, every night of our life. We had services all out the yin-yang. Get up, you know, at daybreak to go pray in the mornings and all this. And he said, are y'all going to church tonight? We said, no. What? What? You're not, you're not going to church. Like, we're not Christians or something, you know what I mean? It was just so funny to me. He did that. He was a good Catholic well, he wasn't even a good Catholic, to be honest with you. you know. he, he, was a, he was a Catholic. And so we, we get these values that we use to cover up the real values that we have. And it's this way, good things often become a form of avoiding what really is our true values that we really need to get rid of. Are y'all hearing me today? I'm telling you, God's talking to me through me today. And if you think that's boasting, he spoke through a jackass in the Bible. So, hey, if you think that line is a good line to be in, then jump in there. Instead of facing who I really was, I was really lost in wishing to become something else. It's like, instead of facing who I really was, I was losing. I lost myself. I didn't have freedom. I had freedom. There was no freedom. Because usually what happens is <clears throat> we're bound under the facade of, the, of living up to the, the covering actions how we were covering the true values, what we really wanted. So, I tell you what, there's. Y'all know I like golf. I play golf. I, I'm. I'm. Gonna, I'm gonna make a confession here today about golf. <clears throat> golf is the easiest game in the world to to be a liar in and to cheat. It's a game of being a gentleman. It's a game where you're supposed to, if you the ball moves or whatever, you have to say, "Hey, I, the ball moved," even when nobody saw it. I'm like. Oh, it's tempting. It's tempting. And for some dumb reason. See, that, you know what they say? I've always heard golf is a microcosm of life. I think it is. And there's other things too. But for some dumb reason, I'm talking about dumb, stupid reason, idiotic. I just had a hard time being honest about what my real game was. Because if you just, if you just move your ball that's maybe in a hole and you can move it up on a piece of grass a little, oh, it's a lot easier to hit. And so you're like, well... We're rolling them. We're going to roll them today. Yeah, okay. A gimme putt is just a gentleman's agreement between two guys that can't putt. That's a gimme. 
Oh, thank you. Hey, it's good for you, too. That's good. That's good. Let's go. Then, of course, we write on that scorecard. I just couldn't be honest with myself that I just wasn't that good and was happy with just who I really was. So I would justify lying to myself. And this is the worst part. Or maybe the worst part, just as bad. And to those I was playing with, especially those who were playing for money. Okay? The winner gets this. I'm not really the winner. Lying and cheating. But, well, but you know, I'm going to tell you, it's easy to justify on the golf course. If you ain't ever played golf, you probably have your places of justifying it too. Let me tell you how bad it is. When you hit a golf ball, wherever that ball comes to rest, you know what they call that? A lie! Am I lying? You got a good lie? Uh, yeah, I got a good lie. <laughs> I got a good lie now. They call it a lie! I said, there's something devious about that. And I'll tell you what. i tell you what it unveiled about me. I ain't real. And I ain't free. Now, I don't know what your little thing may be. You may think that's ridiculous and stupid. Yeah, it took something that ridiculous and stupid to, to prove me that I was just a hypocrite. A liar. Now, if everybody's doing it, and that's the rule or whatever, you know, I, there's one place I play where, man, that's like you'd move anything. Like the guy said, hey, you can move it in the fairway. Well, I took the ball, moved it 30 yards into the fairway. I said, you said you can move it into the fairway. He said, no, we can move it in the fairway. I said, well, you better be, get, get clear. If I'm putting and somebody says, hey, it's good weather, isn't it? Did he say good? Okay, that's good. Thank you. It revealed to me that I just wasn't a free man. Because my value about what others thought was more important than what God thought. That may be menial, but I'll tell you, it was a great lesson for me. We can hide things like that and say, well, I'll tell you what, but guess what? You know, I may still cheat at golf, but I don't smoke no more. I'll tell you what. I, I still, I don't cheat at golf anymore, but I don't. Well, you can't not play golf and cuss. Okay, I'm sorry, let me think of something else. And we justify our actions, and that's in whatever realm or world it may be. Let me put it another way. You lie to yourselves because we don't like some of our own values. And we, therefore, don't like a part of ourself. I don't want to be a 10 handicap. I want to be an even handicap. I don't want to run the 100-yard dash in five minutes. I want to do it in 15 seconds. We don't want to admit that we have certain values that we wish and that we wish we had other values. And it's this discrepancy between self-perception and reality that gets me and you into all kind of trouble. That's because our values are extensions of who we really are. And i got to tell you, I want to be really free. I don't want to think that someday, okay, so down in the root of me, that God ain't really real, and I'm going to have to manipulate this situation somehow to make it happen instead of being able to rest in the boat when the storm comes. This is what truly defines who I was and who you are. When something good happens to something, or something, or someone you value, you feel good. Don't you? When Shaw got that new car, I felt good. Somebody was telling me the other day, well, they got this big raise. And I like that person. I love that person. I'm like, I felt good. I felt good 
that something good happened to somebody I feel good about. And when somebody comes and tells me, man, my boys won the Super Bowl. And I feel good about them feeling good. And it was like I felt good as if these were things that good things were happening to me. Yeah. But also the opposite is true as well. If you don't value something, you will feel good when something bad happens to it. Huh? Uh, I, I can go as deep as I want to in that one. But Yahweh promised me the Spirit of God's going to quicken this to you. <clears throat> if you don't value something, you will feel good when something bad happens to it. So when we are disconnected from our own values, here's an example. A man who says, I believe in value, ambition, and hard work while he plays video games all day. It happens. But in their, in their mind, they say, I believe this. But in their actions, they don't really believe. Our beliefs and ideas get disconnected from our actions and our emotions. And we have to bridge that thing that is disconnected. That disconnect, we must become, in order to do that, we have to become just blatantly delusional about the truth and about ourselves and about the world and who we are and what the real deal is. A lot of people who have certain values that they're covering up or their values, we see their real actions. I've been doing this a long time. I know I look young. I don't know if I look younger. My wife says, she says I'm very immature. So I don't know. I, thought, I think that means I look young. Is that what that means? But uh, <clears throat> I found out that people, because of their values and what they really love, they hate themselves. It's amazing how many people that I know hate themselves. And I have discovered over the years that people who hate themselves hurt themselves. I see it over and over. I mean, what are you doing, man? Are you, are you kidding me? Just keep on continuously just shooting ourselves in the foot and sometimes in the head. We can value things in our lives. We can devalue things in our lives. But guess what? We can also value our life or devalue our life. Where we came from, the other side of the tracks. I don't even know how they say it now. I mean, I don't know the terminology. Y'all understand the other side of the tracks? You know, you know you were, you're the one that wore the high waters. You wore high waters. Y'all know what high waters were? I mean, don't get me into all that, but I mean, I mean, I, my, you know, I used to be skinny. And if I did any growing at all, my mother would buy me blue jeans and they would have cuffs in them. Your mom ever roll your cuffs up before? And so what happened the next year, what, if I grew any, she'd just uncuff them one time. And if I got holes in them, number one, I was going to get a whipping because that was my school clothes. I shouldn't be playing them anyhow. anyhow. And, but she would just iron patches on them. Iron on patches, big old patches. She couldn't put them under the bottom of them. She put them right on the top. Here I am, man. <laughs> Other side of the tracks. Wasn't fancy, smancy, nothing. My mother literally. And then it wasn't that we didn't have that much money. My, my dad paid pretty good money in the time. There was a place in Columbus called Hill Brothers Shoes. Two pair for $5. Oh, yeah. So right before school time, my mother bought me some shoes. And she, brought them, she showed them to me. And they were olive drab suede looking. The kind you could say, shh, shh. You could write your name on them. 
lace up olive drab suede. I'm like, I ain't going to tell you what I thought. But what I thought I didn't usually say in front of my mama if I was within arm's reach. And I'm like, oh, is that? I mean, we didn't have, I didn't get pro keds and stuff like that. We were buddies. So I looked at them. My mother said, try them on. I said, I don't try them on. Yeah, they fit. They fit. I don't want to try them on. Fit, try them on. So I picked them up and I looked. I said, and there were these red circles all over there, and it had a little hole there that somebody had put wood putty in. So what my mother did is bought me some crappy old golf shoes that had steel spikes, got pliers, pulled the spikes out, put wood putty in there, and said, you're going to wear these at school. I'd rather go barefooted. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Broken vessel. See, people can hate themselves because of their past. They can hate themselves of what they, where they failed. They can hate themselves of what, where they even came from or what they look like. I hate what I look like. Why? Because there's a value system in you that ain't good. If we hate ourselves, do you realize in a goofy, weird way, do you know that you will celebrate your own destruction? Even if it's just subconsciously. This is why people who don't just loathe themselves understand about people who do. They have no idea that self-destructing is some kind of good feeling in some deep, dark way in that person's mind and heart and life. The person who loathes themselves can look in the mirror and see nothing but something that makes them feel that they're inferior physically, emotionally, and morally even. I'm bad. That They deserve to have some awful thing to come and compensate for their own wretchedness. I deserve that. Abuse me again. Whether it's through drugs, alcohol, self-harm, even harming others. How do you do that? Well, you just, you're just a jerk. Hurt yourself by not letting anybody else love you. Bad feelings, unforgiveness, gossip. Y'all know there's an ugly part of themselves that seeks out this destruction. And really, it's to justify all the pain and the misery that they felt. And now they have this, this value system, and they're covering it with Christian. But when it comes, when nobody's looking, guess what we do? We move the ball over. Winston dark when nobody's looking, what do we do? We do something we shouldn't be doing. Because who we are in the dark alone is who you really are. I preached years ago on this subject. And it came to my mind. I've been meditating on this, this word. And this term right here is really what began to put me on a path of being open to this, what I'm trying to preach today. And I'm doing my best. And that is a soul merchant. You know, and, and I got to thinking about it. I don't know that I ever even taught it here as much as it was just something that I put in, on the back burner. And now somewhere, it's in a closet right now somewhere. And I looked and I said, soul merchant, soul merchant. There it was. I got the book of Revelation, the book of Isaiah, I mean, all these places. But these are people who merchandise people. Churches are full of them, of soul merchants. <clears throat> but really, culture and society are the are probably the 
biggest influencers. And these soul merchants of modern culture have told us, and they've told our children, and we've told our children because they told us, then we tell their children that somehow that this life can bring you some kind of happiness, satisfaction, fulfillment, and success. You gotta do you do that right there, you're gonna be successful. You do that right, you get happy. I want to tell you something. I've seen I've seen people have the white weddings, the white beautiful dresses and the carriages and all that, and it didn't make them happy. I've heard people get all kind of money and, and success and all. They weren't happy. And go on and on and on. Be successful, they say. You will be happy, they say. They lie to you. They lie to me if we buy this and get this and have that and look like this and have a house like that and call like that and blah, 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 blah. Guess what? You're going to be happy. <laughs> Wrong value. It cannot make a person happiness. Oh, yeah, Johnny, it can for a little while. No, it can't. Well, I'm happy right now. I've heard people say, I'm happy right now. I said, no, no, you're not, man. Have you ever listened to yourself talk? I suppose, you know, achieving excess, success in life, I suppose it's a good thing. You know, I was reading a few months ago, I was reading a book about the life of one of the greatest success stories in the history of the world. Said, man, this guy pulled himself out of a poverty he pursued his goals relentlessly. He was passionately committed to his entire life success. I mean, this guy was devoted, man. He was going to be successful. And he did it to the point of he, he inspired millions of others just like himself to follow him in what he was trying to accomplish. And I'll tell you, the, the book was about a man named Adolf Hitler. How many of you know who he is? Yeah. You younger kids, he was a bad guy. I don't know if y'all get taught that or not, but, oh, yes, right, Rachel and teaches y'all, y'all know then. So I guess that in order for success to be a good thing, I think it should be important for us to understand one's definition of success. Hello? Oh, living there, having that, all, that's, that's the definition of success? Listen to me. Our definition of the success is more important there than our success. Our definition of what true success is is more important than you achieving success. That ain't really success. Much of the work of, this, of these soul merchants, I'm old enough, man, these self, the self-esteem movement of the 70s and the 80s was to take people from self-loathing to guess what? Self-loving. Self-loving people don't get satisfaction from hurting themselves. They get a sense of satisfaction for taking care of themselves and improving themselves. And I'll tell you what, it's important that you do love yourself in the godly sense. And you can only truly love yourself based on the realization that Yahweh's value system has, has put you in a place of value for him, with him. He values me. That bases my ability to receive love and to give love and to value others because I value myself because Yahweh values, uh, values me. And I can love others because I love myself because Yahweh loves me. Just self-love is not sufficient in and of itself. Because if you only love yourself, 
You will become a literally self-absorbed beep, beep, jerk and indifferent to the suffering of issues of others. You don't care about nobody else. It's all about you. Get out of the way. Ultimately, we need to love ourselves. You need to value yourself. But you also need to love and value something bigger than yourself. That's fallen human trait. If you make yourself the highest value in your life, then you'll never feel the desire to sacrifice for anything. And that, my friends, is a miserable person. Life ain't worth living until you found something worth dying for. It could be your children, your grandchildren. And without that, we feel purposeless and we just chase one high after another high after another high. Now, Excuse me. Isn't the weather beautiful outside? Well, you're not going to see it for a few more minutes, okay? I'm pretty sure that when somebody is wanting to hire somebody, you got a company, you own this company, you're looking to hire somebody, and you receive resumes, resumes, I, mean, I think that's a French word. For, uh, can you even say that now? No, Pepe Pew got, got put in jail or something. So I, anyway, From individuals, these people are seeking the position that you made available and you get these resumes in, and you look through them, and most of them will probably just be average, you know. And there may be some on there that have the perfect resume, a combination of not only good grades, but all this, you know, uh, extracurricular stuff. Uh, you know, I've, I work for, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of some, you know, I worked at the soup kitchen down there. I've traveled the world and worked in a, on a, an island, you know, of, of people, and I was a missionary, and all these other traits. But I want you to listen to me a minute, and don't go to the extreme with me. Let's stay right here with what I'm dealing with. The fact is, when it comes to our resume, when Joel said he loves me, I love you too, buddy. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. Hey, the music was great today. <laughs> that's, a, that's a joke between he and I. Hey, <clears throat> but when it comes to our resume, when we're applying for our well done, and we give our resume in, guess what? Good grades and all these other achievements, man, they're good. They're not worthy because God expects us to put forth our best efforts, you know, in, in everything we attempt to do, of course. But guess what? He ain't necessarily impressed with all your stellar achievements. Some of y'all should say, oh, preach to me. Hallelujah. Yahweh, don't always. And I would go ahead and really say, I'm trying to give a benefit of the doubt here. He never looks for the best resume. Never. Quite the contrary. As I glean from the pages of the scriptures that I've spent my life in studying, and I want to tell you what he does. He looks for the underachiever. Woo! Some of y'all should shout now. I may get that praise song going again. Joel, if you was here, you'd be able to play the piano and I could sing whenever I wanted to. Hey, let's tell Crystal we love her. Y'all want to do that? We love you, Chris. Hey. He, he looks for the laughing stock of the in crowd, not the cool guy. Hey, gummit. I guess I'm not really qualified then. He's looking for the person that was voted least likely to succeed. Now, when I talk to people like this, they don't like it. Man, they don't want to hear this. 
I can reinforce my point. I can go through the whole Bible, but, you know, look at Moses. He was chosen by God, and he was really a killer and an outlaw. Now, I do not want you to say this. God used Moses, and so he's going to use me. I ain't talking about you being a killer and an outlaw, but God still loves you and is going to use you anyhow. You hear me? I'm talking about that's how he found you. Some people will stay broken their whole life if you let them. David, an adulterer and a conniving liar. God took that conniving liar and that adulterer and made something out of him. I tell people, you can come to church the way you are, but I ain't going to let you stay that way. Peter, you talking about brass, self-obsessed, big, fat, loud mouth, foul mouth. Paul, a cruel, fanatic zealot who killed Christians. No, no, give me him. Are you crazy? He didn't do it because of those things. He did it in spite of those things. You get the picture. It wasn't the typical models of spiritual living that he was picking. But I want to tell you, if you know anything about my Yahweh, you shouldn't be surprised at all because guess what? He's like that. He's like that. Hallelujah. In fact, he said he didn't come to seek those who, with stellar behavior and successes. But those had a really made a mess of their life. I'm talking about people who, see, I want to say this. No, the, the pooch. No, I don't say the pooch. The full-blown disasters. He said, I didn't come to those people that are well. I come for the sick ones. You can read all about these people. I can tell you. If you want to take my word about it, if you never read the Bible or you never read it enough to see this, or, hey, I'll, I'll do the studying for you today. And i got to tell you, they were outcasts, underachievers, undesirables, untouchables, and rejects. Misfit. And if you're here today, so were you. Every single one of you. Otherwise, you can't be here. I'm misfit. Excuse me, I was a misfit. Yahweh, listen to this. I, I love this scripture, man. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 and 27. Listen to what it says. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. You're Paul, man. He's being mean to these Corinthians. Listen to what he says. Not many of you were wise by human standards. standards oh were they dumb as rocks can you hear listen this is Paul he said I was reading this sometimes we read the Bible you know well yeah I say unto thee that no he said look man uh, you know you were none of, you weren't wise by human standards <laughs> man I, I get a, I get a verse like that I'll laugh all day about it not many of you were influential and not many were of noble birth Dang, Paul. Ouch. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know that I'm trying to shoot par here? Value. Don't you know that I mean, if, it, if I hadn't had to serve God that I'd be some famous person? Yeah. At the post office. You don't know. You have no clue. 
I can say this. Somebody's listening to me right now. Watch this. Peabody Apartments. That's all I got to say. But God, now here he is. He didn't wore them out. He's saying, look, you ain't really, you ain't, you're dumb as rocks. You ain't influenced nobody. You, you're born, you're a bunch of, you know, you wasn't noble at birth. So this is how he's going to encourage them. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. <laughs> so I'm using y'all idiots. You idiots here! Your life is screwed up. It's a waste. It's a disaster. It's a broken, nothing but a broken pot. And we're going to confound the wise. Let me tell you what those kind of people do. They're praisers. Uh-huh. They're praisers. Whoa, what? You, don't, you ain't got to give one of these people much for them to be appreciative. Oh, you're kidding. Ten dollars? He said, and he chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Now, was that a compliment? Or is he saying, if somebody came up to you, dude, you weak, man. Would that be a compliment? What is he saying? I'm going to take this fiasco here, this mess of a person, and I'm going to confound the wise with it. <laughs> Can I tell you? It's true. It's true. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels to show us that this also passing power of God is uh, but power is from God and not from us. We are an earthen vessel. We are an earthen vessel. Let me tell you what. We are a piece of pottery. A jar of clay. Humble individuals. No hope in the world. Broken. Depressed. Hating ourselves. And our others. Our clay vessel was broken and shattered in all these pieces. And when I was meditating on this, let me see what I saw. I saw, and I'm not in some spiritual, no, no spooky way. I just saw this picture in my mind of our sensitive egos and our human nature. All broken, our egos, man. We like, And I'm here to tell you this morning. Because I'm talking to you. And I'm talking to you. And anybody that ever hears this message, even if I'm dead and gone, this is a word from Yahweh to us. And he, I'm telling you, you are precisely the kind of person that has been broken up, that God uses, that he mends and uses to mend others. That's what I'm doing today. He took this broken vessel and he uses me to mend other people if they will let me. And he will do the same in your life. Some look at their lives and man, they say, dude, I'm just broken. I'm, I'm going to tell you something. I've been there. And this isn't really necessarily an overnight work that God does. He don't... He don't just make you a brand new vessel overnight. People say, I know we're a new creation, Christ, all things are passed away, everything become new. Okay. That's a good scripture. Quote it. But it's the new is the beginning process. It's a new kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom versus the natural kingdom. It's, it's John 1 versus Genesis 1. And the first of many, did you know that our Lord himself was bruised and broken? He was acquainted with grief. He was a man of sorrow. <clears throat> Going to sleep at night has not always been easy for me because of sobbing and weeping. About what? 
You ain't got time for me to preach on that. Fear, unbelief, feeling sorry for myself, other people's where they are. I mean, I, I, it's a lot of things. <clears throat> Many a night's sleep hardly comes to the broken people. And they, don't, they think they can hide it like a battered woman will put makeup on her black eye. The visible bruises and the sore spots cannot really be hidden. And they attest to all the repeated falls and spills and disappointments and grief and fear of God. Now, where are you at? I don't feel you. You know, you're not real. I did this and this and blah, blah, blah. That same value thing that, that God wants to deliver you from and restore you to a, a vessel that He has made. Life becomes so broken up that all that's left in a lot of people's life is hopelessness. Because once you get to a place that you, even if you don't have everything, when you even think you do, whatever, then there's, I mean, there's just nothing there. <clears throat> I told somebody the other day, I was talking about death. I said, well, death is, I say, well, you can't disagree with me about this. We know that everybody dies. That's the truth. And all that's left, that's the only real truth there is. And all that's left is speculation or hope. And I am a man of hope resurrection is this the great hope didn't y'all know that that is the hope and my faith knows it <clears throat> hopelessness man i try to live for god i did this i did that it just ain't work life turns out to be totally totally chaotic and it may not be on the top but under under the water you're a duck and you're swimming what is, how does it go you're swimming like hell thank you your dreams have vanished. Your wounds are deep. Your grief, grief is intense. One of the things I had to deal with is a sense of failure because of what values was put into me by people to, to what they said success was in the ministry and not. It's taken me a long time to get those values out. <clears throat> and I got to the point that these, that inner voice, I don't want to say voices, you know what I'm saying? Those inner voices. But they were inner voices from people in the past who were false prophets that spoke those things into me and created my values of what I thought is important. So I'm going to say it. Those inner voices seem to confirm and come to this conclusion that something that was shattered like me cannot be mended. And it was only good to be discarded. But there was something else alive in me and my cry for my father and my God, that drawing that he had in his love that I knew, hold it, not yet, Johnny. And today, I got to tell you, some of you are just got nothing left because you're, you're a broken vessel and the process isn't quite finished yet, and you see no hope, maybe. And you just say, well, I'm going to just discard it. I'll just, I'll just discard it. It can't be fixed. I can't be fixed. Don't flatter yourself. I have people all the time try to get them to come to church. I can't come to that church. The walls will fall down. I said, Psh, you're amateur. If you knew the people that came to our church, you would know the walls won't even blink when you walk in the door. Because I know some people that God has taken who are broken vessels. And I'll tell you what he did. He made something new and fresh out of them and changed them forever. And now he's getting those values right. You ain't who you used to be. I don't care what you say. You may say, well, I see no change in my life. I do. 
You ain't who you think you are. You're who God says you're going to be. Because he, I want, listen to me, I know somebody that fixes broken vessels. Don't take it to the dump yet. I know somebody. And he fixes broken vessels. Before you make this radical decision and say, I'm done, I can't do it, I give up, I'm going to do that, give up. Before you do that, let me take you to him. Jeremiah 18. Can you do that for me this morning, Chris? Verse 3. This scripture was such a beautiful scripture. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. Broken. So he did what? He made it again another vessel that seemed good to what the potter wanted to make. That core value is trying to form ourselves into what these soul merchants are trying to make. <clears throat> My beautiful, beautiful father can fix any broken vessel. My beautiful father. And he does it by recreating us. There's no need to cast that shattered vessel aside. All that needs to be done is to take it to my father. He's the master potter. He will turn it into a new vessel. I'm almost time to go enjoy the, the weather, but i got to tell one more story. He'll give me a chance. Moses was 80. People say, well, it ain't old like then like it is now. He was 80. And in 80 years, you can get tired of some stuff. Huh? 80 years, you well, you know, they're going to live, but through live 900. Look, 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 it don't take long. Most men get tired of it by 40. Had it all, done it all. They want to do something else. They're going to they're have that cycle in their life. They're going to get a new car, a, you know, a new woman, a new this, new car, new haircut, whatever it may be. He's 80. He's out in that desert. He's demoralized. He's despondent. He's wasting away. Nothing. He couldn't see any purpose that he had. And I'll tell you what, this dude had, had, got, was lucky. He got found by Pharaoh's daughter. He was raised in the house of a king. He had this elite education. But I want to tell you what, it wasn't very compatible out there when he was raising tending sheep. Let's see, calculus is the first square root of stuff. You know, he, I mean, how does that work with sheep? <laughs> he had military training. Okay, sheep, hand to hand. No value, man. He's all these parched hills of Midian, land of Midian. All he had out there was that, as 80 years old, he had all the good resume. Didn't matter. All he had was his rod, a shepherd's rod. And he could have been holding the scepter of Egypt. Moses said, Man, death is approaching. I'm old now. He may have lived to be a 980. I don't know, but I'll tell you what I do know. I know that at 80, he understood that the he was at the demise of all his dreams. Broken. Not just broke, but broken too. And one day, the God of the brokenhearted appeared to this man. Let me tell you why. Because... Our failures are Yahweh's opportunities. You hear me? I don't mean we're going to live the rest of our life failing so we can have a relationship with God. Well, I done messed up again. 
So I can talk to God. No, but I'll tell you what. As I always said, I got to know my principles very well because of my failures. He looked at this guy's life, and he knew I got a fine specimen here. Here's a guy, he ain't got nothing now. He, he had all this trust in his degrees and all those kind of things. Now he's, he's at the bottom of the barrel. He's down in the miry pit. He's been cast out by society. As they look for the next hero or the next this or the next that, he was overlooked for the job, so to speak. The promotion, the nice house, whatever. But I got to tell you this. He might have been overlooked by all those things, but he was not overlooked by the God of the down and out. And even though his resume had stuff on it like criminal, murderer, outlaw, this is Yahweh. Hmm, I'm interested in him. He's like going to somebody, well, I know you don't want to buy this piece of junk car. You know, it's rusted out. No, 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 no. Hmm, I'm interested. Yahweh sends him. On a crucial assignment. <laughs> I think, watch this. Moses can't believe it. Why? Well, he's too old. He's out of touch. He's irrelevant. He can't use any of the things he has strength in. But guess what? Yahweh believed in him. Yahweh called him. Yahweh said, you're the, you're the man that's going to do it. So guess what he did? He said, okay, I'll take the job. And unbeknownst to him at that time, the greatest feats in his life were in his future. He thought his accolades and all that was in his, and all the stuff he had done. Things that this man did when God took him from a broken place were incredible. They were awesome. They were unique. And they can't be replicated. He changed the mindset of Pharaoh. And you know how he did it? Pretty miraculously. Okay, well, you ain't going to do that. Watch this. Frogs everywhere. You don't want no frogs around. My wife, Erwin, my wife wants to get rid of the lizards at our house. Remind me to talk to you about that. I told her, I said, there ain't nothing you can do, honey. Erwin will know. <laughs> okay, I'll ask Erwin. He was Yahweh's human instrument to turn a group of slaves into a nation. Y'all hear me? He takes broken people and he's going to turn slaves into nations. He spoke face to face and similitudes with Yahweh. And Yahweh took this loser. This broken guy, man, and gave him the Ten Commandments. You people ask me all the time, you believe the Ten Commandments, you got to do all the, you know, the Levitical law and all that. I said, no, I'm not a son of Moses. I'm a son of Abraham. But the fact is, Moses added to, and I've taught on this, there are, other, there are things in other covenants and laws that Moses did that he implemented that were uh, health. You know, you can't eat shrimp. You can't wear wool and linen put together. You, all of those things. But there were only ten. Never change. He gave them to this guy, man. And he chose him. And some people are going to be surprised, when he, but you've heard me say it probably before. To pen and to record the five most important books in the Bible. Pentateuch. Now, that ain't bad. For somebody who spent the best of his years in the hills of Midian, in that desert place, tending sheep, thinking that nothing was left for him, he was broken. And God, he always said, hmm, when somebody has experienced 
defeat and dejection and ridicule and rejection and brokenness and barrenness. I can tell you right now, those people become more sensitive to the voice of Yahweh. Let me tell you why I can hear God's voice. Because I really need to hear God's voice. I needed it to know. I got to know. If y'all remember that. I got, I, I needed it. Those kind of people can relate to others in a way that they would have been impossible had that individual had not gone in such depths of anxiety and hurt. Their brokenness qualifies them for ministry. When I say ministry, I ain't talking about being a preacher. I believe, and then we get the other side of this that I'm not going to talk about, and that is being broken and releasing what God has. You know, he finds us broken, he heals us, then we are, we, we are broken and spilled out. But the more brokenness one has experienced, the more useful he becomes in the hand of Yahweh. And it reminds me of this old story, and I'm going to try to put it together with this. A man had the daily chore of bringing water. I'm going to kind of read it to you, to the palace of a nobleman. He did this by filling two jars of water, large jars of water that he hand carried from the well to the home. One of these jars had a small crack and would not hold all the intended water. Part of it would drip on the side of the road. So the other perfect jar assumed an air of superiority. Whereas the broken one felt ashamed of its imperfection. One day it spoke to the working man and apologetically stated how much of a failure she felt at not being able to fulfill her role of holding water. The water carrier proceeded to point out to the broken jar the beautiful flowers that lined the side of the path where her drips of water had been falling. Furthermore, he added, I knew your condition. I planted flower seeds along the path, and they have grown abundantly and beautifully. I have even taken some of the, to the palace of our Lord. That was only possible because I knew that every day you would water my flowers. What kind of resume today do you have? Now, we are not going to live in the self-pity of a broken. We're going to stay broken. And, oh, yeah, but Johnny, we're growing flowers on the side of the road. No, God has something way bigger than just you accidentally growing flowers. But the point is, is that he will take our broken place and, and make us new. He will stop us from leaking. He will stop us from drip, dripping. He will cause us to be filled to overflowing. What is your resume today? You know what it is. I don't know what it is. You know. I may know some of it, but only you know when you lay head down at night or what the internal dialogue you deal with every day, you know. And, and I mean, my internal dialogue is in real time. The inner voice says, we got to get down and change the values. We got to quit lying to ourselves and acting like we're okay when we're not okay when we can't even, we can't even uh, not lie about insignificant, stupid things because we care more about what the world or somebody thinks than what God thinks. Yahweh's the God of the brokenhearted, man. Don't you worry about your resume. He will change you. He will change you. He will deliver you. He will use you. And consequently, He will change your resume. God bless y'all. Thanks for watching.